Turn to Psalm 123, a song of ascents. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. Father, we do pray that you would bring this word to us. Lord, bring us to a point of humility and humbleness before you as we hear your word brought forward. Amen. So this is a a short little psalm, four verses. Um, Martin Luther called this psalm the deep sigh of a pained heart. When when you are oppressed and persecuted, uh, when you don't know what to do, when you've had your fill, the psalmist encourages us here to just keep looking to the Lord and cast ourselves upon him. Look to his hand and trust him to do what is best. Look to the Lord for mercy and grace in your time of need. So verse 1 says, Unto you I lift my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. So when we're in need, and honestly, when are we not, right? We must be putting our hope and our trust, and we must be looking to the one who can actually help us. The psalmist knows exactly where to look. He lifts his eyes to the one who dwells in the heavens, because he knows that he is the one who sits in the heavens and laughs. He does, the Lord shall hold them in derision. He knows that the Lord that he is looking to is laughing at those who are holding them in contempt. You know, God is not merely our city councilman or our state representative or our governor or our president or any earthly king, right? God's throne is in heaven and he is sovereign over all things in this which is his created cosmos. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven, and he does what he pleases. When we look to the Lord and King enthroned in heaven, it should be a great reminder that he alone is sovereign over all things, and therefore he is our only sure hope. And because he is this King enthroned in heaven, we should be doing exactly what we've done thus far today. Come to him and worship him in his majesty. 1 Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Spurgeon said, it is good to have someone to look up to. The psalmist looked so high that he could look no higher. Not to the hills... We saw that a couple of psalms ago. Sorry about that. Not to the hills, but to the God of the hills he looked. So verse 2 takes us further. It says, Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their masters, and the eyes of the maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Again, the picture here is a picture of a male and a female servant. Um, in, in ancient Near East, it was customary to have servants constantly standing by at the ready to do whatever the master or mistress 
desired. That desire sometimes was as small as a finger movement or a tap on a table. Here we have the servant is attentive to the master's will. The psalmist here in Psalm 123 has his eyes trained on his master. He's looking for the smallest gesture. He's looking for the slightest wave of his hand to indicate his will. Samuel Cox speaks of the Christian as being one who has his eyes fixed on the hand of God, absorbed in watchful expectation of some sign or gesture, however slight, which may indicate the divine will. You know, that should be our daily desire. Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, how may I serve you today? That should be our desire. We should be attentive to our master's will. Second, there's an until in this passage, until he has mercy on us. So there's, a, there's an idea here that there's a waiting that may be needed that he may have to wait until he receives that from his master, what his master intends. But it's a confident waiting, right? It says, until he has mercy on us. In the past tense, he knows that his master will take care of him. In Martin Luther's commentary, he said, for when he defers his help, he does it not because he will not hear us, but to exercise and stir up our faith and to teach us that the ways whereby he can and does deliver us are so manifold and miraculous that we are never able to conceive them. Therefore, let us think that the thing which we ask is not denied, but deferred, and assure ourselves that we are not neglected because of this delay. The next piece here is that we need to be responsive to our master's commands. The servant here is watching and he's waiting for those commands. But we need to remember that when it comes to God, we are his servants and he is our master. All too often we can get that backwards. All too often we can expect him to respond to our wishes and our desires. We need to always be ready to serve the Lord Jesus in whatever direction that he gives. Then moving on to verses 3 and 4, we, we saw that we need to look to the king who is enthroned on high. We need to look to the Lord as a servant looks to his master. And third, we need to look to the Lord as our merciful Savior. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we ex are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. Again, the psalmist here is crying out in rapid succession twice. He says, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. He also says that he is exceedingly filled twice. Exceedingly filled here uh, comes from a word to mean, that means to be saturated, to be satisfied. And the psalmist here, the idea is that the contempt has been piled on so much, so much so that he can experience no more. The psalmist has reached his saturation point. He cannot take anymore, and he is eager for the Lord to hear his pleas for mercy. His waiting in the previous verse here isn't a passive thing, though. He's not just standing by. 
He is actively seeking the Lord's mercy here. He is being mocked. He's being persecuted for his faith. And he is in utter need. And as, as he does, he's crying out to the Lord for mercy. So when we are in our dire and difficult situations, whatever they may be, we have nowhere else to look but to our Savior and King who gives us mercy and grace that only He can supply. Now since we know that these times of life will come, we need to hold on to the truth that the Lord knows our suffering. Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. You know, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years is a long time not to wonder, has God forgotten about me? We must never consider that. God has not forgotten about us. He knows our sufferings. God not only knows our sufferings, but he cares about them as well. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Later in Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So since Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help us when we are tempted. Because Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, we may approach the throne of grace with boldness and find mercy to help us in those times of need. God knows our suffering. God cares about our suffering. And God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The proud here in Psalm 123 are the complacent ones. They are the ones who are at ease. They are the ones who are not suffering as the saints are here in this psalm. The arrogant are those who are proudly looking down upon those who are suffering. Isaiah 13, 11 says, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins, I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. The proud do not receive God's mercy because they don't think they need it and they don't want it. At least they don't want it from the Lord Jesus. They will not bow their knee to Christ. James 4, 6 tells us God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the humble here are the saints who look to the Lord for mercy, crying out, Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. Matthew Henry summarizes this uh, section this way. Hypocrites look to the world's hand. Thence they have their reward. But true Christians look to God as their master and their rewarder. God's people find little mercy with men. But this is their comfort, that with the Lord there is mercy. Scorning and contempt have been, are, and are likely to be the lot of God's people in this world. It is hard to bear, but the servants of God should not complain if they are treated as his beloved son was. 
Let us then, when ready to faint under trials, look unto Jesus and by faith and prayer cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. Father, we do cast ourselves on your mercy. And we thank you that we may look unto Jesus. And every time we come to your table, that we're able to remember his sacrifice, remember what he accomplished so that we might have communion with him. Amen.